Today's Bible reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, and I invite you to turn there in your worship gods or in your Bibles. Hear the word of the Lord. The teacher writes, Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls as has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. In a recent book, uh, uh, Pastor John Ortberg writes about our need to meaningfully connect with other people. He writes this, In 2015, researchers at the University of California at Berkeley announced they would be part of a $100 million project for space travel to see if there's intelligent life in the universe. The plan was to send tiny nanocrafts like spaceship butterflies traveling at one-fifth the speed of light to Alpha Centauri. Stephen Hawking expressed the purpose poignantly. It is important to know if we are alone in the dark. The folks at Berkeley are not the only ones who want to know. We're all constantly sending out tiny little probes, emotional nanocrafts. They travel at high speeds, and it's easy to miss them. And we're sending them out to find out whether we're alone in the dark. They can be small. Did you see the game last night? They can be poignant. I don't think I'll ever call my dad again. They can be deep. I'm not sure my wife loves me anymore. They can be urgent. I have no one else to talk to. Can I speak to you confidentially? These emotional nanocrafts are what researcher John Gottman calls bids for emotional connection. We start issuing these bids before we can talk. A baby's cry is a bid to connect. As we grow older, these bids or invitations for intimacy take other forms. A bid can be a question, a gesture, a look, a touch, any single expression that says, I want to feel connected to you. Intimacy of every kind is either built up or eroded based on how well we handle the subtle little nanocrafts of relational life. John Ortberg in a recent book. So I wonder sometimes if one reason we don't come into a church 
gathering like this is we are desperately trying to figure out if we are alone in the dark. Our series is New Church Old Wisdom from the old wisdom of the book of Ecclesiastes. And what we're doing is examining and exploring some distinctives that animate our church. And today we're looking at the distinctive of community. Eugene Peterson writes this, there can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in an embrace of community. I am not myself by myself, writes Eugene Peterson. So, so it seems to me that a lot of us try to build community. Uh, we have strategies. And one of the strategies we have is we try to build our human communities on common interests. And so we try to find people who are the same age and stage as us, or people that have you know, kids our same age, or who hold our same social or political views. Or maybe it's people who like the same activities, like biking or pickleball or hiking. We're desperately trying to build community on some kind of affinity, hoping that we can find somebody who gets us. Or maybe we try to connect with a few other people based on personal strengths. And so sometimes we parade the very best thing about us as early as we can in the conversation, hoping that dropping in our good points will make people like us. So I think one of the unspoken longings when we come into a church uh, gathering like this is, will anyone here see me? Will anyone connect with me? Is there anyone here for me? Now, I think a lot of times we find ourselves in a world full of people, but we struggle to find any real connection. We're like sending out space probes to determine if we really are all alone in the dark. And so if you're someone here today and you feel like you've got all these Facebook friends and Twitter followers and you, your phone is ringing and dinging, but you still feel all alone and you wonder who your friends are, then to do today's reading is for you. So Ecclesiastes, we've said, is, was written 3,000 years ago. And it was probably written by historical King Solomon. And the irony of kings is they were surrounded by people. Everybody wanted to keep company with the king. And we know from history that King Solomon had more than 700 wives and 300 concubines. So surely Solomon could have built connection with many people through common interests. He was believed to be the wisest man in the world. He could certainly have rolled out a variety of topics. He was a sparkling conversationalist. And Solomon had enormous personal strengths. So the irony is that in today's reading, we find a man all alone in the dark in search of true community. So what we're going to do is walk back through Ecclesiastes 4, uh, beginning at verse 7. 
So again, the teacher says, again, I saw vanity under the sun. And if you've been with us for a few weeks, you know this is the Hebrew word hevel. And the idea is that you start out thinking that something is meaningful. And then the closer you get to it, or the longer you go, it evaporates like the mist. So Solomon was surrounded by all these people. And he says, verse 8, Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other. So wives, concubines, servants, and other people. But Solomon was like a man alone in a crowd. And he says, is anyone truly with me? Do I have anyone close in? So he goes on, <clears throat> no person, um, uh, one person who has no other, uh, either son or brother, that there's no end to all his toil. And by now you understand this notion of toil. After the fall of Adam and Eve, work became toil. It was the curse of the garden. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? The teacher concludes, this also is vanity in an unhappy business. So here is this man toiling all alone. And it says Solomon was great at his work. He had great projects. He made gardens. And he had great projects in the ancient world. And Solomon isn't saying literally he has no next of kin. He's saying that work has a tendency to alienate him and us from intimate relationships. And we all know this. We throw ourselves into some of these things and we get caught up. And maybe one day we look around, is there anyone even there? And so Solomon does this. He, he sort of gets, he wants us to get to the end of ourselves. And he wants us to feel the emptiness of some of the things that we give ourselves to. But there's always a turn. As, the French, as I said last week, as the French philosopher Jacques Ellul writes about Ecclesiastes, in order to be prepared to hope in what does not deceive, we must first lose hope in everything that deceives. So in other words, in order to find connection and community, Solomon says, first, you've got to realize when you're all alone. So here's the turn, verse 9. He says this, two are better than one. So it's a little understated, but that's his commitment to community. Because they have good reward for their toil. And so where will Solomon find community? We think we know. And so will he turn with more vigor to find connection with a few other people based on common interest? Or will he try to find someone else by announcing his personal strengths. Well, this is the surprising part. What he says is, it's personal vulnerability. So the king gives these three examples. Verse 10, first. So remember, two are better than one. Why? For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. So this first vulnerability is a need for help. In first century Palestine, roads were uneven and people literally fell down and needed help getting back up. And so here's what we know. Uh, we're overmatched 
by the daily toil of life? And are we willing to ask for help, or are we the strong, silent type? Well, the second vulnerability is comfort. Verse 11, again, if two lie down together, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Well, in first century Palestine, travelers were faced with cold nights, and often a lone traveler would have to sleep close to his donkey to stay warm. So the point is, the reality is, we're overmatched by our griefs and our sadnesses and our losses. And so we need comfort uh, from another person. But do we seek that comfort? Do we pull somebody else in with whom to open up and share our hearts and find comfort in our grief and loss? Well, help, comfort. Well, the third vulnerability is protection. Verse 12 And this finishes it up. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And so we know this. In the ancient world, travelers were open and vulnerable to attack. So people needed protection. And some of us may need physical protection, but all of us need protection from the way life beats us down. And so, so far, the question is, are we ready to receive that protection from others? And then finally... A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Well, we may know what this means. We may have experienced that two people are great, but a group of three people is way more safeguarded than two. Two people can agree with each other and share the same bond spots and get lost in their own delusion. But when you introduce a third person, usually you get a new dynamic. It's harder for three people together to be led astray. So here it is, really what he is saying to us, just to sum up, is that one way that life is vanity is often we just find ourselves all alone. And so he offers something here. He offers help and comfort and protection. But some of us may be asking ourselves, is that it? I mean, maybe you knew that or you tried that. Maybe you've been sending out your tiny probes, the emotional nanocrafts. And maybe some people have been responding. And you're experiencing some of these things. But is that it? Is that the essence of the community, really, that even Ecclesiastes, but certainly Scripture, is telling us about? Well, we've been making the point in Ecclesiastes that the whole thing resolves itself There's actually a thread throughout the book with the same theme, but the whole thing resolves itself in chapter 12, verse 13. So here's the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So we don't know what to do with fear God. But remember, it's not that we fear God will smite us, but we fear that life will not go well for us if we don't follow in his way. So here's what we find. In all of these things, the way the teacher resolves his dilemma is the fear of the Lord. And even even here. So in Acts chapter 2, one of the most famous texts on biblical community, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
So here's what we know about biblical community. Biblical community isn't formed first and foremost by depending on other people. Now, other people are wonderful, and in and of ourselves, we provide many of these things for each other. But what we find in Scripture is the Lord knows our frame. He knows that we are weak and failing, and he knows that if we are the answer for the people who are looking for deep, reconciled connection in the church, we in and of ourselves will not be enough. And so here's the thing. In Ecclesiastes, it's the fear of the Lord. In the Acts, it's the apostles' teaching. And to sum it up, really, it's dependence on Christ. So here's the trajectory of the teaching. We seek help, and we seek comfort, and we seek protection. The trajectory is that God himself provides these things for us. He has a wider vision. He has more resources, his provision and his care. He is the one who provides salvation. He is the one who provides comfort in our affliction and protection. So here's the good news. It's where Ecclesiastes is heading in chapter 12, and it's where uh, the Bible points us. That sin is real, and even in our human communities, that sin will show up. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God, he hasn't left us in ourselves. He has come from heaven to earth to draw near to us. And then he died on the cross to atone for our sin. And he raised three days later to new and everlasting life. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he intercedes for us. And one day he will return in glory. So community in the church is not built on the resources that we bring to offer one to another. It's not built on that alone. First and foremost, it's not built on uh, our commonalities, that we all love pickleball or have kids the same age. Always uh, in Scripture, always, it's pointing us to something beyond us. It's pointing us to the grace and the supply of God. It's pointing us to dependence on Christ. So here's the thing. We want to be bound to each other uh, deeply. But in order to be bound to each other, we need first to be bound to Christ. So I won't be bound to you, and you won't be bound to me until first you and I are bound to Christ and depending on Christ. So this is the marvelous grace of God that he supplies our salvation. See, here it is. Um, in the end, we become brothers and sisters in Christ. So friends, you may be here today and you just may be altogether aware of your sin and failing and you may have something that's so big that it is overwhelming. 
And taking that um, just to another person alone won't be sufficient. Uh, we have a God who has come to us in grace, and he extends himself to us today through his spirit, where he convicts us of sin and invites us through the gift of faith to join him in relationship, both now and forevermore. And so these are the things that um, are our hope and animate our life of community at Community West Church. And so I just want to name three things that are takeaways. See, at this church, uh, we're building community first and foremost through faith and obedience to Jesus. Again, the only place we know to find hope in this church starts with giving our lives to the Savior. We can't save ourselves, but he came to save and he offers himself to us today. And so first and foremost, how community animates this church is we are a people who are inviting each other to give our lives to the Savior, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and to trust our lives to him. He is our only hope for forgiveness and for reconciliation. So we know life this side of eternity is messy, and we will fail each other. But as we receive the love and grace of God through Jesus Christ, we can extend that love and forgiveness to each other. And so this is the first thing. It's our message. Our message is we're building the community through an invitation to faith and obedience and dependence on Christ. Well, second, we're building our community uh, through practices, and one of our practice is, practices is in the commons. The commons is a place where strangers become friends. Jesus himself said, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. So even if you're new to Community West, I want to invite you into this. When we see someone uh, out in the commons, our spirit is to say, there you are. Some of you know this, so just practice it. Say it with me. There you are. That's our spirit in the common. See, most people approach one another with a here I am approach. Uh, let me tell you about me. But we're reversing that in the commons. There you are. My name is Nelson. I don't believe I've gotten to know you, but I'd love to get to know you more. Well, third, we're building community through smaller group gatherings of all kinds. We want a, the way of life to be to gather in smaller groups. And every time we gather, we invest those gatherings with the three pillars of growing in God's word and developing accountable relationships and serving and doing outreach together. But particularly this time of the year, uh, we offer home groups, formerly called missional fellowships, which start back up in February. And what do we say about those groups? Well, we first of all, we say the best of life happens in our smaller groups. And so maybe you'd like to try one, and you can find the groups, and you can experiment just by trying one that you find on our website. So the point is, our groups are discipleship groups. If we have any chance of building community in our home groups, they have to be purposed beyond the group 
itself. And so what we purposed in our groups is that they would help you first and foremost grow in Christ, depend on Christ. So we ask questions like, what does scripture say? What are you learning freshly about the gospel of Jesus Christ? And what difference will this teaching make in your life this week? So this is our hope and this is our deep commitment. In Ecclesiastes, it's the fear of the Lord. In the New Testament, it's the bright prospect of new life in Christ. It's the gift of God's grace and it's offered to you today. And so I'll just say one last thing about just depending on Christ. Um, The ground of this thing, again, is he knows our frame. And we can try to be everything to each other. But here's the wonderful thing about depending on Christ. It opens up the very resources of the Almighty given graciously to you. And so you can pray and you can be overmatched. And you can bring that to the Lord in prayer. And then you can trust that he will meet you in your place of weakness and need. It's a wonderful way to live, and it's the basis for our life together. So in closing, uh, maybe some of us came in here today wondering, uh, with an inarticulate, deep-down cry, I wonder if I am, I wonder if I will always be alone in the dark. Well, at Community West, our hope is not in and of ourselves, However earnestly, we will seek to offer uh, aid, comfort, and protection to each other. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ who has come to us and has given his life for us and who has placed himself renewing and restoring a community like ours. He is our hope both now and forevermore. And we invite you uh, to be part of this journey with us together. Will you pray with me? So, Lord Jesus, what a wonderful prospect that we come not in our strength, but our weakness. What a wonderful prospect that you are our supply What a wonderful prospect that you gave your life to us and so that we can always be hopeful that you are at work, that you are unifying our communities and this community, that you have reconciled us to yourself and to each other. And the bright hope that we have is that you are doing that same work today. So I pray many would um, come to you by faith. Many would see the hope that you give and that we could be those who uh, convey that hope uh, in who we are and how we conduct ourselves. And that that would be our light and our witness to the world. This we 